This is Bucks First Thoughts, the news you need to get through your day in 45 minutes. Make sure you subscribe on the iHeart app or wherever you get your podcasts. What's the first book you can remember reading? When you think back to the first author that you could name, who comes to mind? Sure, a lot of different answers out there, but for a good number of the people listening to this across the country, Dr. Seuss is a likely bet. Dr. Seuss is among the most well-known, probably the most well-known children's author of all time. And now we find out the extent to which the cancel culture of the left has grown, that even Dr. Seuss is not safe from their grasp. Of course not, though. Right? Nobody can be allowed to sit in the way. There's no body of work that's so important, that's so timeless, that you will not see the left apply the standards of wokeness to it. The ever-evolving, shifting, changing, and often duplicitous standards of wokeness. The six Dr. Seuss books that will no longer be published today, according to uh, various news sources, because of racist and insensitive imagery. This is from Dr. Seuss Enterprises. So the company that owns it no longer wants to have to deal with the possibility here of getting a getting boycotted or anything else. So they think that they have beaten the left. They've beaten the wokeness to the punch, although I'm sure they were already receiving a lot of pressure and there's criticism. I can hardly keep up with all the stories these days. They had a, another voice actor on The Simpsons who just came out to say he'll no longer be voicing a a character of color, a person of color character uh, that's no longer allowed, as you know. And people are supposed to apologize for doing it in the first place now. Uh, There's so many of these stories. It's happening all the time. You know, it's funny, isn't it? Uh, I thought that the Biden administration, I thought the left, once they were in charge, could at least give us a couple of months of focusing on governance and, and important issues. But no, you see what they do. You see that when you believe the things that the left believes, You take action on it, even when it's counterproductive, even when it's absurd and when it goes against core values of this country, free speech and freedom of expression are core values enshrined in the First Amendment of the Constitution. These aren't these aren't trivialities. These aren't small things. And never before in my lifetime has free speech and freedom overall been under such sustained assault from people who have adopted an ideology of sanctimoniousness and oppression simultaneously. They think they're the good guys and you, if you don't agree with them, are the bad guys. And that now even extends to children's books. Six Dr. Seuss books no longer to be published, including and to think that I saw it on Mulberry Street. If I ran the zoo, McElligott's pool on Beyond Zebra, scrambled egg super and the cat's quizzer. This comes Right after, one day after, Joe Biden omitted Dr. Seuss from Read Across America Day, which is usually held on the author's birthday on March 2nd. So it's Read Across America Day and Joe Biden, the Biden administration, they got to put thought into this one. Going to make sure that they show they, they prove their woke bona fides. Uh, These people are, you could say, cultural Marxists. You could say they are neo-commies. There's all kinds of descriptions. but, But ultimately, it comes from a mindset 
overwhelmed with the propaganda of victimology. Here we are in America. People are so incredibly fortunate to even be here. This is such an amazing place. And I know a lot of time on this show is spent criticizing what's going wrong and what people in power are doing wrong. That's because it's a political talk show. But I'm also here to tell you that America is amazing. This is the greatest country that has ever existed, and it's worth fighting for because of all those things. And that you should enjoy it as you can. Enjoy your life. uh, Spend time with your loved ones. Get the most out of this place that you can and feel blessed in that process. Even though there are people that are trying to take some of those blessings away from you. I'm aware of that. And that's what we talk about here. But the left takes a very different approach. One of constant victimization. A belief that there is oppression that is omnipresent in our society. It is absolutely everywhere. And that means the only way to deal with it is for government power and cultural power to combine to suppress wrong think, to suppress ideas that are disfavored by the ruling class, by the elites at any given point in time. And here you have Dr. Seuss, the latest with this. But I have to tell you um, what you're seeing now with Amazon banning books, including academic works on things like transgenderism are people that have spent years researching issues and want to present an argument not allowed. Amazon now says that they will block the sale of books that they find offensive or insensitive. If if you can't have culture, if you can't have books, movies, television shows that can be construed by someone somewhere as offensive, you've essentially created the eradication of culture. In fact, the, the only culture that you'll be left with is one that defines the, the dominant group as the constant enemy, right? One, one that picks one group that they're always, it's always open season on attacking and everything else, everyone else has this constant uh, protection that they can invoke of, well, I'm part of the oppressed class. And this is what the left does. Isn't it fascinating how many people live in extreme wealth, live in unbelievable splendor in America and are some of the loudest voices for how hard and oppressive and bad this place is. It's stunning whether you're talking about, you know, Hollywood actors and celebrities, professional athletes. They enjoy looking down on America while they benefit in ways that previous generations of humanity around the globe would have thought were were incomprehensible levels of freedom and wealth and an opportunity. But I suppose everything is is relative. You know, there's a concept called hedonistic adaptation, and it has to do with once you get used to something feeling good, once you have uh, had enough of, say, living in a, a, a mansion, you know, you want three. Once you've been flying first class, you want to fly private, right? Whatever benefits, whatever joys that you can find in things, in actual possessions or in goods and services that you can buy you get used to it and you want more and you see this with the elites and the wealthy in america all the time it's never enough and so they eventually reach a point where the only real thing that matters to them is the approval and the admiration of their peers essentially ego is all that's left the only thing that is truly 
unfillable is ego and the, the adoration of the crowd. And you see this with some very, very wealthy people, someone like Bill Gates, for example. I mean, he finds he finds an existential necessity, not for the planet, for himself in pushing this climate change nonsense, because when you've been close to or the richest man in the world for the last 30 years, another house, another jet, fanciest food in the world. You know, you can only wear one suit at a time. You can only eat one meal at a time. You can only be married to, well, I mean, generally speaking, only be married to one person at a time, right? I mean, there's, there's only so much that can be done here uh, based on material wealth. But the ego is endless. The ego is endless. And that's why wokeness is this, this reservoir of vanity, you see. These are people that have to do nothing, that have to don't, they don't take a difficult stand. It's the opposite of that. They cover themselves in cheaply won glory by throwing under the bus writers, authors, creators, leaders, heroes, warriors, you name it, of the past. Throw it all under the bus as though they're better than them because they now have a a new understanding of what's important and what's right in society. You should also remember that they're not seeking to replace this with anything that is worthwhile. That's another problem. Uh, the, the art that is created in communist regimes is always the most brutish, boring propaganda. There's a reason for that. Because for the mind to be truly free, there has to be the opportunity to test boundaries. There has to be the possibility of uncomfortable ideas, of uncomfortable truths even expressed in society. I often tell people with the work that I do, the truth is perhaps a ironclad defense against defamation, but the truth does not always work in your favor when you say it. People often don't want to hear the truth. Truth can be an ugly thing, a difficult thing. In fact, a huge part of what the Democrat Party does in America today is convince people who feel like they are disenfranchised or they're left out, that they have no agency in any of this. That it's not their fault, you see. They haven't made any bad decisions. They're not putting short term over long term. There's no individual or personal discipline involved in where you are or how your life is going. It's the other. They're oppressing you. And maybe if we start banning more books, then things will even out. This is, of course, preposterous. Doesn't work that way. But you have those who won't take responsibility for themselves adhering to this, loving the the hearing of this message. And then you have those who have done incredibly well, unbelievably well, live in in luxury and circumstances that kings of previous eras would have found unthinkable. And what do they do? They pretend to be obsessed with the plight of those who have less out of both a sense of guilt and a burning desire for superiority. For other for those who don't hold the same beliefs, right? I am better than. This is the virtue signaling idea. I am better than those other people because I care so much about those who have less. I don't do anything for them, of course. I don't help them. I don't speak honestly or truthfully to them. I pander, but it makes me look good because the ego is endless. And people that could have never in a million years come up with something as timeless and creative as the books of Dr. Seuss now find a way to make themselves feel tall and strong and brave by comparison when they're actually none of those things. And they're tearing down 
the free culture that was the reason for all the prosperity and all the benefits that we've had in this country. You're listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. One of the big problems is that police are too often called into situations where they should actually be the last resort. So many activists have said that we should find alternatives to cops as first responders. You know, maybe healthcare professionals or community members. And now the NYPD is saying, all right, I hear you, but what about robot dogs? Wow, a robot dog? What a cool way for the police to say they have too much money and should be defunded. And this robot dog comes with tons of features. It's got cameras, it's got a microphone, it's even got an extra knife that it can plant on an unarmed body, all sorts of things. But you gotta give props to the police for how they're marketing this robot. Oh, look at our adorable dog. No, it's a cop made out of steel. Like they can call tear gas potty smoke, doesn't mean it's going to sting any less when they blast you with it. Here's a great example of ingratitude in America in practice. You have Trevor Noah, who is a guy who lives in a $30 million mansion in Bel Air. I'm serious. $30 million house. Not a $3 million house. That's a really nice house. A $30 million house. Who's calling for the defunding of a police department where... The starting salary is 42 grand. They don't need money. They don't need overtime. They don't need training. Defund them. Oh, what do you think, Trevor Noah, who is painfully unfunny and not talented? And I understand the market, you would say, has rewarded him. Well, no, really a bunch of media executives who decided for whatever reason, wanted to feel good about themselves in whatever way, thought, let's make Trevor Noah a big deal in America by giving him a TV show where he talks about American politics. And he's not funny. He's not good at the job. He's just not good. I mean, that, uh, people that have seen him know this. Um, but put that aside for a second, because that's completely subjective. And people can argue with me and they can say he's, he's hilarious or whatever, fine. He's a guy who's incredibly blessed. And the moment that he heard something go bump in the night in his $30 million house in Bel Air, I, I can assure you he would be calling the police. And he wouldn't want them to send a social worker. He wouldn't want them to send a social worker. He would want them to send armed law enforcement officers. But you see, it's a more popular stance, if you're on the left now, to pretend that the problem in America are the cops. It's a more popular stance for celebrities to say that this would be easy to fix. The problems of society would be easy to fix if only we would send social workers instead of law enforcement officers. These people don't know anything. These voices you hear in the media, they don't understand law enforcement. They don't speak the truth about the law enforcement incidents that are at the center of the so-called BLM movement. And when the truth does come out, they don't share that because it never really matters. Right. The best example of this is Mike Brown, hands up, don't shoot. He did not get shot with his hands up. He was charging a police officer, according to several African-American eyewitnesses. And the report done by Eric Holder as part of Obama, as the head of Obama's DOJ. That's what the facts actually said. Still, still went with the movement there. I'm concerned for the future 
of the city of Minneapolis, you know, the George Floyd uh, case there with Officer Derek Chauvin is, is going to be underway uh, soon. And if that goes in the direction I think it will, which is there will not be a second degree murder conviction, I believe. If there is, I think that's outrageous. Um, there might be a lesser charge that he's convicted on. I think that's possible. But if, let's just say, Officer Chauvin ends up being cleared of all criminal charges, which based on the autopsy report of what actually was the cause of death for George Floyd seems like a distinct possibility, there will be right. You're in the Freedom Hut. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Get the latest from Buck at BuckSexton.com. I want to try an experiment with you now in this cancel culture, in this world of left wing domination of social media, news media and and entertainment in Hollywood. Think about something that you could say as a white male about white males that is derogatory, that is um, that is undermining, that is offensive, that would be considered a problem from the left's perspective. I mean, how far can you actually go? I, I think it's an interesting, interesting uh, experiment to run in your in your own mind, because you can only do this with white males. It, it is only in America, the 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 province that it is, it is only the in the realm of white males where there is nothing that can be said about white maleness that is too offensive, too derogatory, uh, too nasty. And in fact, you get as a white male or anybody else, for that matter, you get a kind of social credit score points added to you. You're a, you're a better person. And if you're wondering, well, Buck, what do you mean? How, how does this work in practice? Here's a, a phenomenal example of it. You know, when you when you want MSNBC, if I went on MSNBC and and wanted the audience to like me, there are certain things that I would I would try to work into the conversation no matter what we're talking about and one of them would be a, a, a self-deprecating and self-loathing attitude about white maleness i can't change it's in a these are immutable characteristics despite what the left thinks these days i am male i am considered white now i think white as a categorization is also quite broad and in some ways useless and, and vague but yes i i am considered to be uh of Caucasian skin tone. And that means that that's that's what I'm dealing with. That's what I what I am. You listen to John Brennan, the former CIA director. And you hear a guy say this and you know that it's the equivalent of Jeb saying, please clap. I mean, that's what John Brennan's doing here to the MSNBC audience. It's embarrassing. Well, he's embarrassed, but not not of what he should be. Play three. That's why we started with Kate, Katie Benner's great new reporting about the investigation into police officer. It renders, you know, at best hypocritical, at worst cynical and false, any notion that the Republicans care about the lives and the safety of law enforcement. Well, I must say, to Claire's point, I'm increasingly embarrassed to be a white male these days. I mean, what a, <laughs> light of what I see of my other white males saying. But it, it just shows that with, the, with very few exceptions like Mitt Romney, Liz Cheney, Adam Kinzinger, there are so few Republicans in Congress who value truth, honesty, yeah, yeah, and whatever. Okay, we, 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 and so, enough, enough, enough. Embarrassed to be a white male. He throws that in there as a cheap applause line. 
But this is really a mentality on the left. There is this feeling of of sadness and and a sense of uh, of transgressing when you're talking about white males. You've, you've done something wrong. You've somehow violated something. You don't you didn't do anything, but your white maleness is a problem. If you are a leftist, if you're a Democrat today, you actually believe this stuff. And, and then think, do what I had said. You have the experiment in your head of what can you say? How far if I were to sit here and tell you that, uh, you know, white males are the cause of <clears throat> oppression and wars all over the world, that white males are are the cause of racism. White males are the cause of sexism and the patriarchy, all these things. That's just a list of what the left believes. The, the left believes these things. They cause the patriarchy. They cause racism. In fact, it's really not possible for there to be racism except white males against other people. That's the which is crazy. If you know anything about the world and racism all over the world, that doesn't even involve anybody who's white. But nonetheless, there, there's a lot of a lot of this belief out there and, and they, they make it very clear. Now, assume for a moment that you're. That you're talking about if you were going to talk about any group other than white males. Any racial group, gender group, would you be able to get away with this? In fact, would it be career enhancing for somebody to sit up, uh, sit up on on a national TV channel like MSNBC and trash their identity group or mock it or make fun of it? No, of course. And if anyone else not from the group did it, their career would be over. Of course, it'd be it'd be all done. You'd be you know, run out of polite society. How did we get to this point? Well, as I've been saying to you, it is part of the messaging campaign that that the left has had for for many, many years now that you can get cheap points, cheap virtue signaling points. If only you embrace this anti white male, anti patriarchy rhetoric as a white male or as anybody else. This is now the culture. This is the way people think about this. I mean, if you turn on, you know, comedians these days. What do comedians make fun of? Republicans, hillbillies, white males. That, that's what you get. That's what comedians think their job is. They certainly will not make fun of any other groups. If they do, the woke mob comes after them. And even if they're making fun of groups, and we all used to know the difference. As I've been saying to you, comedy has been, has been killed off by the left. They'd say, well, all the comedians are liberals. Yeah, for the same reason that all the college professors are liberals. Because they're a bunch of uh, extremists who won't allow anybody else with different ideas to be in the same field. Right? Because they're absolutists. Right? Did the communists take over the Soviet Union? Did Stalin and, and his inner circle, were they in charge because their ideas were so good? You know, were, were they so much more widely beloved, you know, the Bolsheviks than the Mensheviks? Or, or then the reform movement that was underway at the time of the Russian Revolution that evolved the constitutional democracy movement, but no one even remembers that anymore. They were trying to get there. But no, of course not, right? You're, 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 supposed, to forget, you're supposed to forget all of that. These people, because of their belief system, uh, they think that there can't be opposing ideas because it's all rooted in this obsession with a belief of, of absolute truth in politics and in culture. I mean, which is just, it's so counter, it's just so counterintuitive for all the rest of us. Of course, culture needs to be different and culture is messy. And this is why they get these ideas like cultural appropriation. It's an absurdity. There's no such thing. 
Now, they, they will tell you there is. And they'll say that, you know, you can't be a white person who cooks Asian food, for example. To which I always point out, Asia is a very big place. And everybody in Asia, every country in Asia has borrowed from regional cuisines. And, you know, there is no straight line here to even talk about. But they pretend that there is. It's all about power. And it's about transferring into the hands of a very few not just the ability to dictate your, your actions through government and cultural and private sector coercion now, but also to try to control your thoughts. There are people who are obsessed with control as a general principle, controlling others, and they desire also at, at some level to be controlled themselves. Right? And only at the very, very top are there those who are so in love with their own power, their authority, that they just wish to increase the control that they have on everyone else and then have absolute freedom to do whatever they want themselves. That, that's the end stage of authoritarian leftism today. That's where these commies want to take us. And you see this in the way they approach so many of these issues. Uh, what, what cultural additions have the, has the, uh, the left made in recent years that you think will be enduring, will be timeless? What are, what are they doing that is inspiring, beautiful, worthwhile. No, they tear down everything else before them and they hold themselves up and they act as though somehow this is going to make this a better country by running around like power-mad hall monitors. This is going to improve American society. People do, at their core, have a, have a yearning to be free. They can suppress it and it can be it can be locked up, essentially, by those who would rather then be controlled. And this is why a lot of uh, belief systems, a lot of political systems focus so much on that absolute control. We're supposed to have a system rooted in individuality and individual freedom, and it is under assault from the collectivist left. And I know you could say, oh, come on, some children's books. What's the big deal? They're actually banning books, folks. Can we just understand the left is ascendant right now? And what are they doing? They are banning books. They're not banning Mein Kampf, by the way. That you can still get on Amazon. I checked. Uh, but they are banning books that say that maybe giving hormone blocking uh, medicines to hormone blocking agents to, uh, you know, 11, 12 year olds who think they're transgender. And it is think, by the way, there's no physical manifestation of this, uh, that that's hate speech. It's hate. I've always been opposed to uh, hate speech codes and rules because I knew how this would go. The slope is, in fact, slippery. And this is what's happened on social media, too. At first, it was terms of service. You can't say mean things to people. You can't attack them and you know put their personal data online and dox them. All right, well, some of that seems reasonable. Then it says, well, but also we don't allow hate speech. What does that mean? Does advocating for the enforcement of U.S. federal law at our southern borders, that hate speech? Talk to a lot of Democrats, they'll say it is. They're controlling so much of the society around them, and we find ourselves playing defense these days. I think the first step is understanding why what they're doing on a, on a philosophical level is both wrong and destructive. This does not make America a better place, and it doesn't even have the outcome that they want it to, which is that we are all more respectful of each other. No, respect comes from an understanding. You know, it's, re it's really not possible to, to have respect in society without also some level of wisdom and judgment. And 
if people can't understand that they're not always going to like what others say, they're not going to like others' uh, research and the ideas that they put forward in society, uh, all that happens is they force, they, they suppress freedoms and create a backlash. And it's one that we're going to be dealing with, I think, in unforeseeable ways right now. But in time, we'll say, of course, of course, the book bannings and eventually, I'm sure, book burnings. I mean, the stuff that they're doing in this country is unthinkable. The, the cultural suppression, of course, it led to some awful outcomes. Um, but right now they can't see it because they're just drunk with power and, and self-righteousness. One of the one of the great benefits of being a brainless leftist is that you can just bathe in sanctimoniousness with a, with a tweet, with a with a BLM hashtag on your social media page. All of a sudden, without doing anything or earning anything, you're a good person. It's the single most powerful selling point of American leftism today. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Follow Buck on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. No doubt the virus is in the air. There is no doubt that you can catch it if you inhale air that someone else has exhaled. And, and as Piers described beautifully, uh, the, the exercising jogger, the puffing and panting jogger, you can feel their breath come and you can sometimes actually feel yourself inhale it. So there's no doubt that there is a danger there. I do agree that wet, soggy masks are not a good idea. But for goodness sake, I've been for a run this morning. Not only did I put my T-shirt in the wash, but I put my mask in the wash as well. Mm. So the fact that they get uh, you know, contaminated is not a reason for not wearing them. It's not that you're going to do anything with that mask apart from wash it. Um, the other thing to say is that 40% of COVID cases uh, happen by catching it from people who have no symptoms. So you're jogging along, you think you're fine, and then the next day you develop symptoms of COVID, but you've actually breathed that COVID onto someone, perhaps, you know, a, an old lady walking a dog or something like that. So I think it's really important to be okay. so okay, well, look, let's bring in. You're jogging along, you think you're fine, and then you breathe on an old lady and you've just murdered her and should spend the rest of your life probably in a dark prison cell somewhere because you wouldn't wear a mask like Dr. Greenlee of Britain on this Piers Morgan show, I don't even know what it's called, told you to. And all of a sudden, my accent's moving. It's like it's going more into the, the poorer areas of London. You know what I mean? So, yeah, this you got a British doctor here telling you that you should wear a mask when you're running alone. On TV. Now, she will not be censored or silenced by social media or anybody else for being a moron. They're just going to say... Yeah, that's right. Whatever protects people. But there, the, the, the theoretical basis that she lines up here for you getting the virus is like a lightning strike fear. I can't tell you it's not possible, but all the actual research on the epidemiology of this virus is, is long duration, close proximity, indoors. That's how you get this. Meaning that's where the risk is. Right? That's the, that's the concern. You know, it, there's always a concern. You could be going for a jog. You could step on a hypodermic needle and, you, you know, you might get, you know, hepatitis. But people don't run around worried about that. They worry if they're actually intravenous drug users 
about getting bloodborne pathogens like that, right? That's that's a reasonable. You, you, you tell people, hey, don't use dirty needles. You don't say, hey, be careful because there's a one in a one in a million, one in a billion chance when you go for a jog in the park, you might step on a dirty needle. It's possible. I mean, I can't tell you it's not possible, right? Of course it is. But is that what you're worried about? We have seen as part of the mass panic induced the mass hysteria induced by our mass media has resulted in the complete elimination of a reasonable understanding of risk in our lives. And this doctor is a perfect example of it. You can listen to me or you can listen to Dr. Fauci, who says, of course, New York did a great job dealing with the pandemic. Cuomo particularly did a great job. Highest death toll in the country after New Jersey, which is basically just a province of New York in terms of the, the population uh, dispersal here and how it works with the virus. Here's Dr. Fauci. Play 20. The CDC will be coming out within the next few weeks, uh, maybe even sooner, with some guidelines about what people who are vaccinated. And I think and I know you're referring, Dana, to people who are doubly vaccinated 14 days out. They're protected. They have that 94 mm-hmm. to 95 percent protection. What can they do? I'm very certain. And I, and we've discussed this. And, I, and you're right. I don't want to get ahead of the guidelines because the CDC wants to do things that are science based. If you can't get the science, you've got to maybe you modeling and in addition to modeling you use good professional common sense judgment they'll be coming out with that but one of the things that i think is going to become clear that if you have individuals adults who are vaccinated two people that are Mm -hmm. doubly vaccinated and are protected that you can do things that we weren't talking about before you could have dinner in a home without masks on you could have friends who you know are doubly vaccinated and are protected together dinner i just jump in there once you're doubly vaccinated he says you can have dinner in a home a private home i hope you've been doing that all along folks i really do this is buck's first thoughts the news you need to get through your day in 45 minutes make sure you subscribe on the iheart app or wherever you get your podcasts it's Harsanyi time. We got our friend David Harsanyi in the mix. He is at nationalreview.com, senior writer there. David, what's going on? Not much. How are you? You know, getting uh, getting used to what it's like to have our our Democrat overlords in place here. It's uh, every bit as annoying, frustrating, and 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 uh, pointless as as I thought it would be. But let's let's do this this first because um, I've been talking today a fair amount about the the canceling of i know it's only six books but they're canceling children's books now you wrote that it's fascinating to me that people can't stand against the book burners without making about fox or conservatives and even if geisel was a racist meaning uh, uh dr seuss it doesn't change anything Roald Dahl was an anti-semite and i still wouldn't want people to stop publishing his books explain I've been making this argument for a long time. I mean, free speech is not contingent, or your belief in free speech and in an open society isn't contingent on the opinions themselves. Either you believe that free speech is a uh, neutral principle or you don't. Now, uh, uh, people don't have to publish a book, but if they're banning a book because it's insensitive, and then even the people who are are against that, meaning, you know, left-wing people, they always have to make the case that Dr. Zeus wasn't, you know, deep, deep inside. He wasn't a racist. It doesn't matter. Um, there are plenty of books we read from people who were racists or who had opinions in the time that would not work today for us. That doesn't diminish their work. Um, there's a million books we can ban 
right now. I, I was just rereading one of my favorite books, All the King's Men, and the N-word is used throughout it, but it's not a racist book. I know that's weird to say. It's a book of the time in Louisiana in the 1930s, and that's the way that people spoke in those days. Um, this is a never-ending uh, ban list you're going to have. And the left-wingers, they can't even say we shouldn't ban it. Instead, they're talking about how uh, Dr. Seuss would hate Fox News. <laughs> Who cares? There's nothing to do with it. But they can't just get themselves to, to, to be on the right side of something like this. So uh, that's it just annoying. I think it shows it shows the power of the woke narrative that there are so many people who are making a living in the realm of free expression and free speech or what should be that realm. And if you're look, it's very straightforward. If you're somebody who's a big Biden supporter and Biden voter and you work in news media, any kind of communications media, you basically I mean, I know there are some exceptions and we know who, who they are, the prominent ones, but you basically shut your damn mouth and go along with all this cancellation stuff, even though you're supposed to be the people who would speak out most fervently against it. I mean, I'm sure you've been following this thing at the New York Times where the science reporter of 40 plus years was fired for using the N-word in a descriptive way, uh, not, 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 not insulting anyone with it, but asking a, a, a student about it. And he was fired and, and this, he's put up like four long blog posts detailing what happened. And it's just, it's this, I don't know if it's more like 1984 or it's more like Kafka's uh, The Trial or something, but it's just insane to read. And I don't even know how people can, can function, especially creative people or writers or people who are supposedly thinking for themselves can, uh, can uh, function in, in that kind of stifling intellectual environment. Um, I think it, I think it's sad for the New York Times. I think it's sad for us in general. I've asked people this. What what, what for example, should be the sanction against somebody who is a, a court stenographer? Are, is she supposed to or he supposed to make, you know, edits in real time? If, if you know, if you're if you're reading back what somebody, you know, what, what about a detective, a detective who's saying this is what I heard the suspect say before the shooting happened? Is, is he is he supposed to be bleeped or is he going to actually be? canceled and fired for quoting words that he heard in the context of a criminal investigation. I mean, you start to go into this cra- this realm of of straight crazy town. And another thing I think is 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 really problematic and nobody else will say this when you're going into the, the banning of words. But only some people aren't allowed to say the words other people are. This is really just a power dynamic. I mean, this is actually something that people should reject on on a principle it's not like it's a ban on a word because if, if, if it is ever heard or uttered. I mean, in some contexts, words that are banned for some people are celebrated in others, as we all know. And I think that this is a rule that really is just about making it's just about making some people bend the knee to the constantly changing whims of the left. It doesn't actually protect anyone or make it. I mean, everyone understands that using an ethnic slur or using a demeaning word about somebody's immutable characteristic is a a grotesque and immoral thing to do. But this goes way beyond that into even the repetition of somebody else saying the word specifically to understand what the word was is now a cancelable offense. Yeah, you make a great point on the court stenographer. Um, If now we have to burn to the soul of whoever's using whatever word and and, and divine or try to figure out uh, their intent that's going to be a rough road. And as you say, certain people are empowered or bestowed with the power to decide who is using it correctly and who isn't. I mean, then it's just about power. Now, there's already stigma, certain words have stigma attached to them. We don't use them and we don't say them. A normal 
well-adjusted people don't use these words in a way uh, to insult other people. But, uh, you know, in, in the end, even if they do that, it doesn't mean they have to work at the New York Times, but are we going to start, like, let's say Dr. Seuss used those words in the past, are we going to now uh, get rid of his books everywhere because he was that kind of person? It seems uh, just these standards are, listen, I, I mentioned this before, but literally I was just thinking about all the books, uh, uh, Chuck, uh, Chuck Palinchuk wrote The Fight Club, a book that I love. I mean, it is has misogynistic characters in it. So what are we going to do? Do we know that he isn't a misogynist? No, I'd have to go and like meet him before I know if I'm to publish his book. You can't have these kind of standards in society. It doesn't work, especially in, art, in, in an artistic way. Remember, 20, 30 years ago, you know, it was the left who was always like, we're going to ban books in libraries. They were the ones always concerned about it. It was in the Patriot Act, remember? It was such a big deal that the government would know what books you're taking out. And now they're perfectly fine with it, or they don't say anything, which is uh, bad enough for someone who's a journalist. We're speaking to David Harsanyi. He is a senior writer of National Review. And David, I wanted to get your take on the... Uh, the mobile, uh, the changing, malleable is the word I was really thinking of, the malleable journalistic ethics of of CNN as an organization, and more specifically Chris Cuomo. Look, I understand this. I don't care what my job is, what I'm doing. I, I wouldn't be on TV uh, trashing a family member. And I mean, up to the point where they could say, you know, you do this or else, and I'd say I'll take the or else. Like, that's just a, that's a point of honor and pride for me, and I wouldn't do it. However... If I were holding myself out as a journalist, I would also have shied away from doing a propaganda variety hour in favor of a politician during a pandemic because he was my brother. And I think that CNN should have known that, too, as a, quote, news organization. Yeah. Well, two things. They're not a news organization. They're just kind of this corrupt institution that pretends to do journalism. They are the worst the worst worst of all of them, worse than MSNBC, because they pretend not to be on the left, which is there. It's just a propaganda unit. But more than that with Chris Cuomo, um, they keep pretending that the problem is that he isn't covering what's going on now with his brother. No, the problem is that he covered up for his brother for a year. Now, he never should, as you mentioned, I would never go on there and badmouth my brother, even if it was true. I, wouldn't, I would just report something else. But the idea, no one wants that. I don't think any normal people want him to do that. They wanted him not to act, as you say, in this variety hour, covering up for a guy who was sending people to uh, to die in, in nursing homes. And for me, listen, I think that these accusations against Cuomo are serious. I hope he's afforded the due process that liberals never give conservatives like Brett Kavanaugh. They're serious allegations, but the, de- the using government to kill people it's an even more serious allegation, and people still aren't talking about it. Even the left, which is now supposedly, you know, the reason, of course, is timing of why they don't care about Cuomo now, but even they are not really getting into the, his worst, the worst sins of how he acted like a dictator, basically, and, uh, you know, destroyed the lives of many people. So, just to go back, Chris Cuomo's problem is not the coverage, as you mentioned, but the not, the, I mean, the not, not covering, but the coverage itself. And I have to say that this this idea um, that the media was honest in the way that it was portraying Governor Cuomo in the past. I mean, I, I know that that's not true because you and I were having conversations six months ago about the gross slobbering love affair that the mainstream media was having, the corporate media was having with Cuomo as the, as the governor of New York. And I also put it 
in my many, many, many exhibits of what a complete jackass Dr. Fauci is and what awful, awful judgment he has. He was pointing to, to Andrew Cuomo as the gold standard. I mean, what else do you have to if this guy was my private physician, I would never I wouldn't even go let him you know, hit me on the knee to check my reflexes. Like, I would go nowhere near this guy, and he's still allowed to make all these policies. Yeah, he's, he, he, he literally said the words, this is the way to do it, or, or he's done it the right way and the rest of the country should follow. Why doesn't anyone ask him about that? Why doesn't anyone ask him how he feels about that and why he made another big, giant mistake in the past? No one, no one, no one challenges that guy um, with any access. But yeah, we, we were talking about this Probably, I don't know when exactly, but probably in April already, right? I mean, we, we, every, there were some local reporters that noted that he had fudged the numbers on the, on the deaths at nursing homes way back in, I think it was April or May. I think it, it, they were at the Associated Press and some other uh, organization in Albany. People knew the main, main media, the political media, the big-time Chris Cuomo's of the world, and everyone who's on TV covered it up for him, and they wouldn't report it, and they ignored it. And, uh, you know, and now now they pretend that never happened. No one ever has to answer for those things in the media. They just go on, they make giant mistakes. They literally cost lives. Maybe it cost lives in this in this instance, or maybe they didn't cost lives, but they covered up something that was, you know, that, that might have had a lot to do with the high death tolls in New York, frankly. So and that spread from there to the rest of the country, by the way, um, even though I don't you know, I don't know that that's exactly true. We can't know. I, I think the virus was going to go through America anyway. But what, what the point is that they did not cover Donald Trump with that tone and, or DeSantis or any Republican. So it's just uh, completely misleading reporting that they that was a year long thing. And now that we're supposed to reward them because they finally decided to uh, go after Chris, uh, Andrew Cuomo when it doesn't matter for Democrats anymore. David Harsani, everybody, NationalReview.com for his latest. David, thanks so much for joining. Thank you.